Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 324 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Limelight Foundation, an interview with Phyllis Bedford. My name is Christina Kovacs. I am the founder of ladyoflime.com. And over the years, I've done quite a bit of work for advocacy, work for patients, as well as a little bit of work with the Limelight Foundation as well. And I'm Matt Sabatello, and I'm so happy to be here today with Christina Kovacs to interview Phyllis Bedford of the Limelight Foundation. Yes, we had such a great interview coming up. We're going to talk about a lot of things from how Limelight was founded to the work that they do today, some of their really cool events, the ways that they go beyond just their organization to impact Lyme disease and advocacy. And it's really a great story of hope. Hello, Phyllis. Oh, I am so happy to have you here, everyone. Welcome to the Chick Boot Camp podcast. We have the one and only Phyllis Bedford, the founder of the Limelight Foundation, and I'm so happy to have her here. Um, so, so, so thrilled to have you here, Phyllis. Well, thank you. My goodness. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's quite an introduction. Yes. Well, I've known you. Gosh, we've known each other for so long, and we've worked together when I was still bedridden and just kind of totally, totally on the out still. So it's just really amazing to kind of have this full circle moment to be here and to talk about your work. And I obviously adore Limelight. And so I'm just so happy. Yeah. Thank you, Christina. I, I say to people that you've been a gift to Limelight Foundation. Oh you definitely with your fashion sense and your creative <laughs> eye have made us a lot more upscale and fashionable. Ah, you're so kind. You're so kind. Oh my gosh. I'm just so happy that that all worked out. And I know we'll talk about that later as well in the podcast. So if someone doesn't know what we're talking about, we'll kind of go into that as well. But yes, I'm just so happy to have you here. And, you know, I think a lot of people might know your name. They might know about Limelight, but they don't know the backstory of how Limelight came to be, um, you know, just kind of how how you started it, um, you and your husband, of course, together, what Limelight has achieved. And I'm just really excited to highlight all of that and really have people hear your whole story um, and just how you got here to where you are now. Okay, great. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So starting off just for kind of some of our listeners who might not know, um, you know, going back to your childhood, I think kind of talking about, you know, as you, you know, grew up and things like that, you know, now you knew that you had Lyme disease um, from when you were a kid, but did you, when you were growing up, did you have signs or symptoms or kind of what was your first moment when you were like, something's maybe not quite right with my body? Yeah, you know, looking back to my childhood, not as, not so much do I look back and think there were signs of Lyme disease. Really, it wasn't until I matured, and then it was female-related issues that kicked in. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, what we find with our grant recipients. For the young ladies, a lot of time it's at maturation when hormones are kicking in, that Lyme rears its lovely head. Um, and that's, that's what potentially happened to me. I don't know if it was Lyme disease, but I certainly through my teenage years had issues into my married years had issues. And then in my thirties, I was af after children was diagnosed with endometriosis. Mm. And I now know that there is a, a potential and likely connection between endometriosis and, and Lyme disease. So that is, um, yeah, that is my story, but not so much in childhood. Okay. Okay. So as you got older, you started thinking 
it's weird, right? Like I'm having these symptoms. I mean, I definitely relate to that too. Whenever, you know, something sort of starts changing in your body and you think, well, that's definitely not, not really normal. Um, and you, right. just, you know, something's not right, uh, but you can't really put your finger on it. So, I mean, I definitely relate to that. I'm sure pretty much everyone listening can relate to that too. And they just know that things are changing in their body. So um, let's fast forward a little bit. So you're in your thirties, um, you have your children. Right. When did, when did the idea of Lyme disease kind of start to come into your world? When did it enter your world? And you started, you started to kind of learn a little bit more about it. Like when, when did things change for your family? Well, it was through our oldest daughter, uh, Sarah. It was through her diagnosis that we learned about it. And um, so she, she was bitten by a tick in um, on a field trip in middle school. And looking back now, it's like we did absolutely everything wrong, like mm -hmm. did not keep the tick to be tested. I mean, who knew about that? Yeah. Um, I, I don't even know if I'd heard about Lyme disease at that time. Um, but the pediatrician did recommend that she be tested for Lyme, but we, uh, because of the tick bite, but we did the ELISA test. Oh. So we did that test, came back negative, which we all know is the first tier and not as sensitive as a test. But as a parent, you're like, Phew. Okay, great. We don't have Lyme disease. That's fantastic. Um, but, and so that was middle school. When she got into high school, she became more and more what you were just alluding to, Christina, more and more symptomatic and more and more that you just knew that something was wrong and she knew something was wrong. Mm -hmm. And we do, we did what I call the Dr. Mary go round. And, you know, where you see one doctor after another and they do all their testing and, you know, she's fine. And matter of fact, she looks really good. Everything's great. We're not sure what's going on. And you get this, you know, over and over again. And, um, you know, right now I just want to do a plug for, and you, you said this beautifully, Christina, when you know something is wrong, if you know something is wrong with yourself, your spouse, your child, don't give up keep on pursuing and keep on trying to find answers, which is what we did. We kept on, we kept on and we entered more and more into more the integrative natural approach because, you know, you, you're on the allopathic approach and you're, you're striking out. But interestingly, um, as we were pursuing, I was in the grocery store one day and I was shopping and a friend came up to me and said, I'd heard about Sarah's illnesses and symptoms and so forth. I think she could have Lyme disease because my friend's daughter has very similar symptoms. And I said, no, she doesn't have Lyme disease because we had her tested. And she said, well, and I'm so grateful for this interaction because she said, you know, I don't even really know what I'm talking about, but there's another more sensitive test and you need to go see, uh, let me see, an LLMD. I need to, I said, I need to see a who? And they <laughs> said a Lyme literate medical doctor or a Lyme literate naturopathic doctor. And I said, okay, where do you find one of those? And so this friend said, you know, again, we're in California. And she said, well, my friend is seeing uh, Steve Harris at Pacific Frontier Medical. And so I said, okay. And I just went again, didn't give up, just said, I'm, you know, didn't discard that, thought I need to go pursue this. And so called over to uh, Dr. Harris's office 
got an appointment, learned about um, the Western blot test and learned about, you know, uh, it's just not a clinical diagnosis, right? It's a clinical plus symptoms, learned everything and had her tested and sure, sure enough, it came back positive for Lyme disease. And this was when she was a senior in high school. Wow. My gosh. What a journey that the, the doctor merry-go-round, that's the perfect way to say it because it, that is what it is. You know, you're it just is. going, you know, place to place. And, you know, I'm sure as a parent, you also felt it in your gut when, when you're getting an answer and they're, you know, looking at her and they're saying, she's fine. She's great. I mean, what yeah. do you mean? She looks fine, which by the way, is like the most dreaded thing to say to someone who has any type of chronic illness is you look fine uh, because it's not actually it's not taking into account what's happening internally that they can't, you know, see with their own two eyes. So I'm just so glad that you were so persistent and you advocated on her behalf because that is something so important to, you know, to advocate for the people you love and then also to really teach people to just never give up and really have that in them to keep advocating. So I'm just so glad that you you kept, you kept with it. And also right. what a, what an incredible moment with, you know, someone coming up to you. Like it's so well, happenstance. Yeah. You know, in, interestingly, Christina later, like, I, you know, four or five months later, someone, I think it was at one of the Lyme doctors said, um, well, you know, Lyme disease is called the grocery store diagnosis or grocery store disease. And I said, <laughs> a grocery store disease. And she said, do you know how many, and this, and this makes sense, how many parents, primarily moms, you know, you're there shopping and then you're talking, you know, you run into someone in the aisle and you start talking about what is going on with your child. And so many people at that time, that was 14 years ago, are, say just what my friend said, Hey, I don't know much about this, but there's this, you know, thing out there called Lyme disease. So I thought that was, <laughs> that was, you know, again, the community sharing and, and, and together yeah. we collectively get a diagnosis. Yes. So that, that's really great. That's amazing. That's, that's hysterical. I've never heard that, but that makes yeah. perfect sense. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh man. Oh gosh. All right. So we, now, you know, that she has Lyme disease um, and you're working with this naturopathic doctor. Um, what is kind of the next few years trajectory? What did your family go through when you sort of found out suddenly, okay, it's Lyme disease. Was it relief that you felt? Was it yeah. um, like, what, what kind of went through your minds when you found that? Well, of course it's relief. You know, when you finally get a diagnosis, I mean, of course it's immense relief. But then you go, okay, we have a disease that no one knows anything about in our family and the community, my friends don't know anything about. So um, I often say I went to medical school um, because uh, again, we're going back 14 years ago, um, there wasn't as much, you know, now people feel, I feel you can but for example, this, this podcast, right? You can get diagnosed and find a podcast. You can find support groups online. It's, it's amazing and such a blessing that there, it, there's so much more support. Instagram, right? You could find things now, not, not back then. So I just literally bought every book I could find on Lyme disease and read them, you know, cover to cover, scoured the internet, went to other Lyme literate medical doctor sites just to glean everything. And like I said, it became very intensive for me. So, and I think the more parents can read, the more you are interactive with the doctor and more understanding and helping the decision-making process of which way to go with your treatment. Cause there's a lot of treatment 
um, possibilities out there and to become part of, part of the process. So, you know, and the, you know, the other thing that I think when you, besides be learning about it is, and you touched on this, Christina, becoming an advocate. I mean, there you are, you know, if you, if you have the Lyme diagnosis and you're the patient, again, we know there's very many um, different symptoms you can have, but in general, this person's pretty sick at this point and probably isn't able to think clearly for themselves or needs someone to help them think. So, you know, what I not only learning about it, but then I learned I had to be an advocate. You know, if I like, for example, if I, someone said to me, why don't you try lymphatic massage? It's like, okay, what is lymphatic massage? Do I know if there's a, someone lymphatic massage in my area? What type of lymphatic massage? I mean, this all takes time. And, and, and so what a, what a wonderful thing for um, a, a caretaker really to do is to um, help that person get through the day and decide what is right for them. I, I, I also think something that we all deal with is the medication schedule, right? Once you get it, then it's, then it's, okay, you take this with food, you take this away from food, you, you know, you take these two, no, two, you can't take another medication or food with this one. I mean, so I used to make a schedule for Sarah. I, I, I had it and every day I would update it with, um, you know, what we were doing that particular day, you know, hour by hour. And so we'd both look at it and I literally would check it off. Like, this is this medication. We're going to do this and that. Let's try to schedule a walk. We have this appointment. And again, just helping that person navigate. I made pill bags for her. Um, and I think um, for me, and this sounds, um, sounds like a, it's, a, it's a season. It's not forever. I really had to put my life on hold. I just found that the best thing for my family, for a support to Sarah is not to think, oh, I have to go to that luncheon. Um, so I just pulled away. I just thought I'm just, I, I actually was an avid tennis player at that time. I just said, I'm just not, I'm just not, I'm just not going to do that right now. So um, yeah, it was in, and, and again, I want to say it's a selfless job to be the caretaker, yes. but it's for a season. It's for a season. Well, Phyllis, thank God Sarah had you as her mother because we know this is a horrible disease. We're talking over a decade ago in California where it was even worse, right? So many of our listeners are still struggling to get better from Lyme disease at various stages of the healing journey, whether it's early on or you know close to remission or trying to maintain remission in that maintenance mode. Can you share briefly what you did with your daughter to help her regain her health from Lyme disease? Yes. Um, what we did was, gosh, I'm taking a moment here because it's like, what didn't we do, right? <laughs> I know that sounds funny, but um, I think something that is mis uh, that anyone diagnosed with Lyme disease needs to know is it can't be all killing, killing, killing. It has to be a balance. And so that's, that's, my, that's my pause is we would do heavy killing and then she would just have to take a break or we would have to integrate. And we're, we're continuing to learn, right? I think all of us as more and more things are coming out. But Sarah, as I said, was under the care of an MD, Dr. Stephen Harris. And, you know, initially, really, whatever he said we did. And hers was a oral antibiotic initially and then went to um, IV antibiotics. And, you know, we kind of did as I said, a little bit of everything. Um, and, and I mentioned lymphatic massage, 
we, we realized, and again, most people with Lyme disease are slow detoxers. So it's, it's, it, we found with her, we, as I said, we just couldn't keep up the strict killing. We had to have this integrative uh, approach as well. Yeah. Yes. A hundred percent. I'm, I actually had that exact same story. You know, I tried with the antibiotics and just, you know, constant, you know, doing that and it killed my stomach and I felt miserable. And, um, you know, I don't even know the first time I realized I was actually herxing because when you're told you're going to have a herxheimer, you're like, what's that? You know? And so when you actually, you know, experience it for the first time and you're like, oh no, I think this is a I think this is a herx. And then you start to, you know, do something with it with the massages or any other detox method. And then you get relief. You're like, oh, wow. Um, I mean, everything I'm sure was such a learning curve. I mean, as you were kind of walking through it, but my gosh, wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's what I would say to any listener is, is everybody is different and you just have to listen to your body and you can't push yourself too hard or you're just going to end up in just a pile, literally. I mean, there just would be times when, you know, Sarah would be in a pile and I'd be like, okay, this is no good. Right. Yeah. So I, 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 I definitely think you need to listen to your body and a common, common we find with our grant recipients at Limelight Foundation that a lot of them can't handle the antibiotics for just what you mentioned, particularly for children. So um, uh, most of our grant recipients definitely have more of an integrative or a holistic approach mm-hmm. for that very reason. Yes. And something about that, which we know is that that's not usually covered by insurance. And right you know, that's, there's just such a huge gap there with, with it, because when you start to go down the road with integrative doctors, which is also, you know, what I did and how I got well slowly, or actually very quickly, you realize, okay, well, this can't be turned into insurance. So this has to come out of pocket. Um, and that's the thing that, you know, I know, obviously I, I, I want to kind of jump into now sort of how you got to the place where you had the idea to form Limelight. Um, but, you know, it's so many people's stories are very much the same that when they do find that integrative doctor, they're amazing. I mean, they are amazing and they are finally giving them answers, but it's very expensive. It's so expensive to heal from Lyme. Well, and it's not even just the integrative doctors, mm-hmm. the, the, the MDs, the allopathic approach, it, it, you know, a lot of that is not covered by Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, for example, maybe the antibiotics are, but the doctor visits aren't. And then, yeah. like you said, anything um, outside of that. So, yeah, that's, that's a great question, Christina. So when we were at, again, we were at Pacific Frontier. Um, you know, you would be waiting in the waiting rooms or when we got into the, you know, IV uh, lounges, you would, first of all, you'd interact with other families and patients, but you'd also um, overhear conversations. And it was amazing how people, what people were doing to afford treatment for their children. Heartbreaking, really. I mean, you'd hear, overhear stories of, you know, well, we'll max out the credit cards. Do you think we can get a second one? Or let's just sell the house. Um, Let's sell your jewelry. Let's move in, you know, with your mother. Um, Maybe we can cut our grocery bill down. And you were sitting there uh, almost feeling guilty that for your child, you were in um, a a fortunate enough place that you could afford the treatment. And so this just kind of 
resonated, you know, in the back of my mind of my goodness. I mean, first of all, right. How can this be happening? Yeah. Um, but second of all, what can I do about it? And there was another friend of ours who their child also had Lyme disease. And we went to dinner with them one night and we were just talking about this, like, what can we do? What can we do? And they were also in the position where they were able to afford treatment for their child. So we talked about what if we could just enable families to be able to afford treatment. And, you know, really, if you think about it, for any parent to have to decide between, you know, feeding and housing their child and affording treatment, you know, providing treatment for their child is really a choice no parent should have to make. And so we decided, well, okay, let's form, let's form Limelight Foundation. And um, our, our mission, which I just kind of said, is to provide treatment grants to children and young adults through age 25 who can't afford the care. And we started small. We, we started in uh, 2011. And our idea was we'd have a fundraising event, we'd raise some money, and we'd give it out in grants. And so the first year we had uh, raised $40,000 and had four grant recipients. And fast forward now to 2022, this year, we will distribute a million dollars in grant funding to 225 in, well, thank you, 225 individuals. Um, And then since inception, we have awarded $8 million and we have um, 1,148 recipients in 49 states. Wow. Oh my gosh. Wow. (laughs) Phyllis, that is wonderful. And I have to tell you, I just want to share here, Rich and I have spoken to thousands of people in the Lyme community. We've interviewed hundreds of people on this podcast and so many of them have been touched by your your organization. I just want you to know, Phyllis, that you are saving lives. I mean, the one person that we absolutely adore, obviously, besides Christina is (laughs) Ashley Marba, who is one of our favorite people and her children's lives were saved because of your not-for-profit and because of Limelight Phyllis. So you are truly saving lives. And we just want to thank you so much for all the work you're doing. And if I could just ask you to share quickly what it must be like from your standpoint to see these stories of people being so sick and getting better thanks to the funding you provide. I mean, you have amazing success rates. I think your exit surveys are showing that you have a 70% rate where people are saying they're significantly better because of your foundation, right? So can you give us a little detail into that and what that must be like from your standpoint? Oh, I got to tell you it. I mean, like even right now, I'm sort of tearing up. (laughs) Um, It's really a gift and a blessing uh, to be in the position that we are. And I know I have this wonderful team and board and it, it really is what motivates us. You know, I mean, it's funny, I I look back and I think, okay, what would I be doing if we weren't, I didn't have Lyme and we didn't start this foundation, right? Did I expect this is what I was going to be doing? And the answer is no. Um, But it has been truly, I've looked at now that Lyme has been a gift to our family. And it has been just, just such a pleasure to meet these families and to learn from these families and to just know that you're making a huge difference in their lives. And yeah, it, it is, 
it, it's fabulous. I, I just, I just want to say that. And you're, you're right. We have met like Ashley, all, all of our grant recipients. I mean, when I say all, obviously I don't know all, but I've got to meet so many of them um, through our grant recipient receptions, which we used to have here at our house to our virtual receptions that we've had now. And that is one thing I want to say about Limelight Foundation. We didn't just want to give them money and, you know, have them go, go off in the you know wild blue yonder type thing. We really did want to start a relationship and that we felt that was so key because again, going back to my experience, it was so isolating. And we thought if we can get these families together and, and children together to realize they're not alone, there's other people like them. So we, as best as we can, have tried to build a community. We have a, a, a private Facebook group that um, our recipients can join, which is very active. And I mentioned the grant recipients, I could go grant recipient receptions, which I could go more into. But basically we really, we really felt that we wanted, we, we wanted to build community. And I and I have to just say one more thing. The grant funding that we provide is so important, obviously, right? The money is so important. But equally important is that they feel seen that they feel validated, that they feel not crazy, right? That there is an organization that is giving them money because they believe what they're going through. And we just find, again, that is so important to affirm these families. Charles, can you talk a little bit about your grant reception? I think you just had your 10th annual grant reception virtually. And yeah. we see them on social media. I saw it on your website. And you know you hear about these virtual events, and sometimes you think, "Oh, they're kind of stuffy. They're weird because they're virtual." But your events look like some of the most fun virtual events we've ever seen. I mean, everybody's dressed up. There's balloons. Everybody's happy and smiling. I mean, there's it's just awesome. So, like, what inspired you to make these virtual events when COVID hit, and even prior to that, when you had them in person, be such fun events? And what kind of activities do you plan for these things to make it worthwhile, or I shouldn't say worthwhile, to make it fun and disarming, and you know? kind of share this environment of, of collaborating and sharing stories and getting along with one another at your events because it's just a, just such a cool experience to see from the outside looking in at how successful your events are when you run them phyllis oh well thank first of all thank you but you you hit the nail on the head we want them to be fun right here are sick people let's have something fun for them to go to so that's something that we really try to do and we also, I mean, I'll go back and forth between the live and the virtual, but the live events, we would make it a safe environment. Like think of going, you know, to a party. You, a lot of times these families, if they do, or people, if they do go to a family, to a party, they're different, right? They have to eat special food. They're gluten-free, they're dairy-free. You know, they, you know, here everyone gets where they are, right? If there's a child lying down over there, we understand what's going on. Um, so that we wanted to make it a safe and fun environment. So the live events, um, what inspired us to do the virtual events and keep them going through COVID was what we found is that the parents for these events became kind of a therapy session, right? Here they are, this is live. And again, we would have 20, 25 grant recipients and their families. And the kids were off, you know, uh, playing games and doing art projects and the parents were there comparing notes. And I always, uh, for the live events would have the grant recipients um, introduce themselves and say a little bit about something. And that enabled them to know, oh, that person's about my age. And it was really wonderful. So take that over to the virtual. 
what you just said, we were like, okay, we can't make this a boring stuffing Zoom meeting. So we've come up with how we could just make it fun. And we always, this year, our theme was summer fun and we had lays and we had funny glasses and we call it our photo booth. So we take a various pictures. Those are the pictures that you see. And, um, and we have an art project that we do all together, which is all of, we try to make it to, about hope and about what they're going through. This year, they made Trees of Hope, which talked about their, their dreams and their aspirations and where they are. So again, it's all about removing them from a sick place to, hey, you're having fun. And for the virtual, we were able to have over 100 uh, recipients, 100 plus, and their families. Um, and uh, I, let's see, we had 31 states represented. So 31 out of our 49 states were represented. And again, it's about community. What, what, what we do at the end is we have everyone come off mute and it's just an hour of sharing and caring, right? And that's, that's again what we say, this is sharing. And so it is so interesting because we do a survey, you know, what part of this did you like? What part didn't you like? They always like that part best. And we keep on making it longer and longer and longer. And it's just families doing, and in the chat feature too, hey, I'm from, you know, California too. What part of California are you from? And, you know, it's just so great um, and, and fun, like you've said. That's awesome. Yes. I mean, that really does. I mean, I can imagine when you are otherwise like 24 seven in treatment mode or care mode, right? You know, whether you're the parent and you're in caregiver mode or you're the patient and you're in treatment mode, it must be so nice to get together with other people who understand. And it, and it goes both ways because also for the grant recipients, they're finally in a room with peers who understand them and they don't have to, you know, pretend to put on a, a brave face like they feel good. If they lay down, they lay down and this person gets it. And I'm sure that there have been a lot of bonds formed between the, the grant recipients as well in finding a friend and community and just someone that they can lean on as well. So I feel like that's just so wonderful because it really goes both ways. You know, it's it's wonderful for the parents to feel like they have other people to talk to. And then it's wonderful for the recipients as well. So I think that's and, just And I have to say, it's wonderful for the Limelight family. It's our one of our favorite days of the year. Check mailing day is another wonderful day. But <laughs> it's really back to, I, I think, Matt, what you were asking about it's our chance to see their faces and hear their stories. I mean, I'm always in tears by the end because I'm just so moved um, and by their stories, how brave these people are and what they've gone through. And um, it's, 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 as I said, it's really wonderful for us. That is so awesome. Oh my gosh. I just, yeah, I know that we could go on and on forever about like this particular thing. Cause I just, you know, specifically, you know, not feeling alone is so important. And I know that that's something that, you know, is so um, common otherwise, that it's so isolating in the Lyme community. And so in 2011, when you started this, what we kind of talked about, that was, it was still, Lyme was still pretty new um, in the sense that, you know, some people knew about it, but there still wasn't a lot of information. So how did you go from your first event in 2011 to where you are today? What type of events did you do to raise money for Limelight? Um, and just, yeah, kind of how, how did that whole, whole escalade from 2011 to now gosh that's a that's a great question um so we started initially and if you go way back on our if our events tab on our website 
we started initially with um, theatrical plays. We just had the other family that I mentioned, their daughter was in theater. And so she got this idea. Uh, she went to school, I believe it was the, in Ithaca, New York, actually. And she got the idea to bring her classmates um, who knew she had Lyme and do these little theatrical um, uh, not little. I mean, they were lovely. Um, I think we did You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And it, 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 it was wonderful to do this. And these were our first events. And some of our donors, this is so interesting to this day, came from, we met them at these events. So initially, like for any nonprofit, you're just getting your, your you know, what you're doing out there, right? And explaining what's going on. And it's interesting, and I continue to do this on a daily basis. I continue to talk about Lyme and, and, and how prevalent Lyme is. And I think anyone who would come to one of these events, any of our events, besides hopefully having a good time at the event, learns a lot about Lyme and Limelight. So then we um, got this idea, which is our annual fundraiser to this day, is called Dark for Art. And I can explain it. You're, everyone listening is going to be confused, um, but um, but I will do my best to do it. I, I had to hear it about four times when I first learned about it. We get artists to donate art to um, our event, um, Dart for Art. So these are artists which are sharing their talent. I always say they're using their talent for healing for our grant recipients. And, um, and, and what we do with this, typically about 200 pieces of art. And what we do is we go, again, I'm gonna say it's a live event. We go to the site and we put up an art gallery, right? So here are these 200 pieces of art and we put up an art gallery. And we've started in smaller venues. We've now grown to where we actually have it at the San Mateo County Event Center. So a fairground, a huge wow. building in, um, in San Mateo. Um, and so we put up this art gallery and guests, when they come to the event, they know they're going to leave with a piece of art. They don't know, just don't know which one. So, and the dart part of the event, dart for art, is you literally are running for your piece of art. And, and it's, I, I love to say this is the closest thing adults do to go to a four-year-old birthday party because Suddenly everyone comes to this party knowing they're going to get a piece of art, don't know when they're going to dart, which piece do they want, and everyone's energy level is, you know, just high. So the, um, so how the big donor or the people that have the sponsors and the patrons at the higher levels, they get their opportunity to dart and dart watch the video on our website. We put down a, uh, you know, a starting line, women are throwing off their shoes, people are yelling. <laughs> <laughs> and you are literally running for your art and how you claim your art is you take off your name tag and you put it next to your piece of art. So the beginning is a lovely cocktail hour where the artists get to, to, to meet with the guests and, and the artists stand by their pieces. And it's just this wonderful interaction. Then we have dinner, you hear from the foundation, you always hear from a grant recipient. And then the dart starts. And so it's over in about four hours. It's, you know, then you collect your piece of art and you, generally people are staying there with a piece of art and, you know, the evening usually ends about that time. But it's just this, um, again, we're all about what you said, Christina, it's such, Lyme is such a, can be such a heavy 
subject, even our name Limelight, we always want to make this, yes, we're dealing with a heavy subject, but let's let's lighten it up and let's and let's um, have fun with it. So it's become a kind of a coveted event in our area. And um, this past year, again, it was online this year, but we, I think we cleared 235,000. So net of expenses, which means 23 treatment grants. So in its, and, and again, it's a beautiful way for artists, um, some of our recipients and some of our Lyme families come and um, all of our guests to be in one place, learn about Lyme, Limelight and have a good time. Phyllis, I want to tell everybody watching to go to your website, limelightfoundation.org, and watch the video on Dart for Art, because I watched it numerous times, and I just watched it again while you're speaking on mute, and you can't help but smile. I mean, I had no audio, and I was watching it with just video, no audio, watching it while you were talking, listening to you, and I'm just glowing and so happy watching it, right? So it's a really it's a really fun video to watch, and if you're in a bad mood, go watch it. It's going to make you feel better. I mean, it's such a cool event that you run. So, you know, talking about the, the money that you raise, right, can you give us a little bit of detail about how the grants work. You know, if somebody applies and wins, a, you know, what's the process to apply for a grant through Limelight Foundation? And for people that do win, what is the amount and, and how do you distribute the, 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 the money? And are there rules and regulations towards what the money has to be used for, for treatment? Right, right. Um, well, you, uh, you mentioned our website. You can learn all about our grants process on the grants tab at our website. But basically we say, if you, again, it's, for people who can't afford the care. So what we really say is you have to be struggling, you know, to afford, afford it. And we could give you more. Um, Kate Nagel is our treat, treatment grants coordinator and she is wonderful. And she could talk to, you know, email her or at grants at limelightfoundation.org. She could talk more about the parameters with you. But in general, um, you put an application in and it's like, you know, any application like a college application and our we have a, a customized software that it really is kind of like a college application meaning it's all done online and it's a very i want to say easy process i mean it's a very streamlined process for families to go through and then the reviewers so our board reviews the grant recipients three times the grant applications three times a year so we award grants three times a year. We do give supplemental grants to our already established, um, we call them interim grants, already established grant recipients an additional three times. So we distribute funds a total of six times a year. Um, but so that for the grants process of when you get awarded, the amount that you get awarded is $10,000. But like I've already said, we don't just write a check for $10,000. That's not what we do. We distribute the funds in generally in three increments. And generally it's 3,000, 4,000, 3,000 generally. And so again, talking about building community, we want to have when the first 3,000 is distributed, we want to hear from you. We want to hear, matter of fact, we have to hear from you before we distribute more grant funds. Um, we need to see receipts. Are you using um, your funds appropriately? And we want feedback, have the funds, you know, we realize it's the first funding, but are they making a difference or what is your plan? And Matt, that was a good question. Limelight does not tell you what you have to do. We give our grant families autonomy and we've already touched on how specialized and how personalized the care must be. So we don't say it has to be antibiotics, has to be antimicrobials. 
people do completely alternative. Maybe they're going to do hyperbaric oxygen. Maybe they're going to purchase an amp coil and do that. Whatever, you know, we have, again, we have a list of what is covered. For example, even traveling to medical, if you're going out of state, um, that is covered. So there's a list of what is covered. Um, and and we just, we, we, we actually like to hear from the families, you know, what is working from you? And that's been interesting too, right? What is working for people? How are people getting well? I say this when I speak is that I'm sitting on, I am limelight is sitting on all this information of what has been helping families. And I think at some point we'll correlate this and, and, you know, get it out there. But um, yeah, that's how the process works. And it, it actually is a very seamless, nice process. And I will say that not all grant families use the full $10,000, it depends. And you can, you can go to one doctor, you could go to multiple doctors, you could change course. And when you give a family $10,000, right? And they know they're gonna get that $10,000 they become stewards of that $10,000. They want it to be used for the best way for their child. So that's empowering for the families too. And that's again, part of what we wanna do. What do you wanna do? Let's, let's help you to set you and your family up for the most success possible. Phyllis, I wanna ask, and I bet a lot of our listeners are curious, how did you meet Christina, right? Because we interviewed Christina on this podcast and Christina has known you for quite a while. And we know, Rich and I, what you guys have done together. But if you can just share with us how you met Christina and how your friendship and relationship and partnership has grown and what you've done together for Limelight. Well, and Christina, you feel free to jump in as I'm talking. Um, but the lady of Lime <laughs> is Christina. Um, and um, so what happened... Uh, is that Christina about five years ago approached us. And at that time she had a um, Christmas store. And she said, I would like all the proceeds from the Christmas store to go to Limelight Foundation. And of course we were like thrilled. I mean, number one, thrilled that she recognized us, right? And number two, thrilled that she uh, was going to do this. And I wanna say that this again on our website, we call these um, events hosted by others. We welcome anyone to partner with us with any idea that you have for fundraising um, to, to partner with us, which is exactly what Christina said. I know what you do. I would love to help as much as I can. And this is, this is my talent. This is what I like to do. So how fun was that? She did that for a couple of years. She also did a um, sweater for the Thanksgiving season that said thankful on it. And, um, and that, I think, Christina, you sold through Amazon. And again, the funds went to Limelight Foundation. Mm -hmm. But the big turning point was in 2020, when she approached us and said, uh, in a nice way, hey, I'd like to help you with your leisure wear on your website. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, we'd like to be helped with our leisure wear on our website. So Christina, and it was really so fun for our entire team. She did a whole presentation on what we could have for really upscale leisure wear. And we decided together what should be there. And I really would love everyone to go to the store and see Christina's wonderful, at limelightfoundation.org, and see Christina's wonderful creations. And um, they continue to be popular and Christina manages that for us. So we 
we we said this is great, but she handles the ordering. She handles well. She could go more into that, but anyway. So it's just been a beautiful partnership, and and really, we knew that um, this wasn't going to you know make a ton of money for our foundation because it's kind of just something we do. But it's also again a way of for Christina to give back and for our uh, kind of unify our grant recipient, anyone who wants to wear a, a limelight piece of clothing. And then for the last two years, Christina has made t-shirts, which we've used as a kickoff for our uh, Limelight's May Lime Awareness Campaign. So again, it's just been um, a visual and wonderful uh, way to kick off the campaign. So I say this all the time. I say, um, Christina has been truly a blessing and a gift to Limelight Foundation. Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. It's it's just been the most fun. And I know you talked a little bit, of course, about um, you know Kate and some of the people on the back end, but everyone at Limelight is amazing. I mean, every mm. everyone I have worked with, they are so kind, they're encouraging, they are wonderful. I mean, it's just made this just the, the best thing ever because you know, whenever we were, you know, I know I had presented the pieces to you and we met on Zooms and we were kind of deciding like, okay, do we go with this or that? And everyone was so excited about everything. I mean, it's just, it's the best. It's the best. And so now, yes, we've been working to do these shirts yearly. Um, and uh, we did a tie-dye shirt that was like the first limited edition t-shirt, which was just so fun. Um, tie-dye was so fun. And I always love seeing uh, all the grant recipients, like the families together and and just it is it really is just kind of like a fun way to, to unify it's a great way to support limelight so yes I would definitely encourage anyone to go and uh, check it out I know I'm a well, little biased and, but <laughs> and Christina it's interesting too because you know we ask our limelight at the grant recipient reception the virtual you know wear a piece of green or a limelight t-shirt and a lot of them are wearing you know your your limelight t-shirts <laughs> I'm wearing your tie-dye limelight t-shirt yes so yeah <laughs> and and we should say that um, last year, the, the tie-dye t-shirt, a grant recipient wearing the tie-dye t-shirt and the inside as well on our holiday card. So yes. that was a neat being able to feature, you know, again, we're all a community all working together. And there, we just got those tie-dye t-shirts. We should probably almost bring them back for a second. They were so <laughs> popular and they're they so were. beautiful. Yeah. Yes, they were. They were. They're so comfy too. I, I still, I mean, I wear, I wear all the, like every single one of the pieces. I love the joggers. So yeah, that's just so fun. And I just yeah. love that. And I love, I love seeing um, the photos from that and everyone coming together. And it really is. It just is so much of a community, which that's such a highlight to me for Limelight is it's not just like, it's like you said, it's not just giving the money to them and then just saying, okay, goodbye. You know, it's a constant community, but also on the back end, you know, there are so many pieces to, to what makes Limelight, you know, work. And, um, I know that, you know, outside of, of course, you doing the work for, you know, the grant recipients, you all do a lot of work for advocating for a lot of different causes. And I know that you speak on different conferences and you go and you do different talks. So can you share a little bit about that yourself or your team, some of the places you've gone, things you've talked about, ways that you have advocated as well in the community? Um, well, as I said, any any of our events uh, of course, we always speak at our events. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing we used to do was, uh, and this was in May Lime Awareness. And we, again, we haven't done it recently. 
um, is we used to go to the farmer's market. And again, that's a way uh, to raise awareness. So we're always, we're always talking about wherever you are, um, talk about Lyme, talk about limelight. That's part of what we do. But where I've sp spoken, um, really the place that I have spoken outside of limelight has been at the Lime Mind Conference, which has been um, put on by Stephen and Alexandra Cohen Foundation, who are one of our funders. And that's been a great conference where anyone who they have um, given money to, we all come together in sort of a, uh, a think tank uh, type of format. Each, each year has been different. And of course, like everything, the COVID has and the pandemic has changed it. It's changed to a virtual uh, a virtual format as well. But I, um, I, 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 anyway, I could tell what I talked about every year, but for the last few years, the focus has mainly been on congenital Lyme. And that was in 2019, I was asked to moderate a panel on congenital Lyme um, at the Lyme Mind Conference. And we weren't even sure whether this would be something people were interested in um, or what the response would be. And Sue Faber, um, was on who is Lyme Hope. She was um, an, an Lyme advocate and she's a registered nurse. And as long with two um, of that initial panel with two Lyme literate doctors. And it, I think that was the beginning of eye-opening for all of us of how interested people were in this subject and how much they wanted to learn more. And I am thrilled to see how much progress, it's the beginning, but how it's kind of become a, a hotter topic in the Lyme community and, and talked about. Um, at the 2019 conference, um, we, going back to Kate, our treatment grants coordinator, I said, hey, real quick, let's just do a quick study. What, what do we think? How many of our grant recipients have been, you know, infected mother to baby transmission, you know, infected in utero. And because we knew we had grant recipients talking about generations, like three and four generations of Lyme. We know we had um, grant recipients where there was, you know, four to five kids sick with Lyme. We knew we had whole families sick with Lyme. And it's like, okay, well, it's unlikely these are all entirely a tick bite, right? right. Something, something more is going on. So at that time, Kate's quick number to me was, we think it's about 50%. And that's what I presented. There's that, those videos are also on our website, on our um, uh, Lyme and pregnancy page. So that was kind of um, the, the uh, aha moment for all of us. What, what is going on? So we then, after that conference in 2020, we uh, decided we should really look at at our grant recipients. And I was joking with Matt that this could be a whole nother podcast to go into all of this. And I'm not gonna go into all of our parameters, <laughs> but we set parameters up and we said, okay, which of these families, you know, legitimately have, you know, we can stand behind, we believe have congenital line. And we found it's 50% and maybe as high as 60%. At 60% would be including all the likelies. And I can go into what that means. But that is like, you know, you're telling me that 578 to 650 of our of our grant recipients were infected this way. So that was um, that again, that was sort of a, a, a an aha moment. I did another um, panel for shared virtual in in 2020 
And then recently, Kate was able to go to the Banbury Conference, which was a think tank directly focused on congenital Lyme. Now this brought, how exciting was this? This brought scientists, this brought doctors, this brought um, Lyme advocates, the CDC, um, all together to talk about congenital Lyme. And at the end of the think tank conference, it was recommended to the NIH that we need additional funding, excuse me, additional research, well, funding too, but uh, additional research. And, and that's the thing, there's not research done on this. Like, you know, like, right, a child isn't born with a bullseye rash. I mean, how do you know your child has, you know, has Lyme? And Limelight has put on our website under resources, a Lyme and pregnancy page, because we realize how much we don't know and, um, and how necessary research and fundraising is for this subject. And um, uh, Kate also just participated in the, in the most recent, it was a couple of weeks ago, Lyme Mind Conference, where Sue Faber um, um, did, was the moderator for this wonderful panel, which again, brought the CDC, brought Lyme organizations and just talked about congenital Lyme and how, and, and how, much, how much more research we need in this area. Yes. And Phil, so, once, once again, Ashley Marba was actually on this year's Lime Mind just a few weeks ago, right? So another yeah. connection to Limelight. And it's just so cool to see yourself and a lot of people that have been benefiting from your grants and just your research and your work that you're providing to be presented year after year after year at this Lime Mind event in New York City. But what I find even more powerful is you first presented this in 2019. And I believe it was the next year the CDC finally put on their website that congenital Lyme is real. I think they said it was rare, which I'm not sure you know I like, right? But they at least admitted that it's real and put it on their website, right? So can you talk about that? I mean, that must've been a great feeling after you had this huge conference and you did this presentation the next year, the CDC is listening and they update their website. That's so cool, right? I mean, that's really powerful. It is so, absolutely so cool. And I believe, I wish Sue were here to confirm this. I believe both the NIH and the CDC representatives were at our panel discussion because they did, you know, um, Sue was kind of flooded with, cause she's really, I just have to do a shout out to Sue Faber. I mean, what she has done for congenital Lyme is nothing short of amazing and kind of a miracle. I mean, she has just, she has been affected. She, she has congenital Lyme, her children are sick. So she has just been pushing, pushing, pushing. And she, um, yeah, that, like you just said, it's, it's kind of like the floodgate opened. And, um, and it, you're right, January of 2020, that hit, uh, you know, the CDC website, and we were all like, oh, I mean, fantastic. And, and that, and, and, and I have to say that it has been amazing to see the CDC um, open uh, really to do this and really to work with us. Uh, when I say work with us, I, I, to be open to this whole um, idea. And yeah, that's why we actually did the deep dive is because once it hit the website, we were like, this is amazing. So Phyllis, can you talk to us about being a caregiver, right? Because I know this is something, Christina, you're passionate about discussing the role of a caregiver. And I can say in my own personal experience, I would not have been able to get through chronic Lyme without the help of my mother, my grandmother, my father, and my grandfather. Simply would not have been able to, right? I couldn't speak. I couldn't communicate. I couldn't drive. I was so neurologically and cognitively impaired. So 
you know, I know there's some great resources out there like Patient Talk Christina, I think that you want to speak about. And I'm curious, Phyllis, what your thoughts are, you know, having been a caretaker to, to your daughter as well. If you guys could speak about that a little bit, please. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a hundred percent on the same page. I always say that without my parents, I, I would not be here today because just like you talked about earlier, when you're so sick, you can't advocate for yourself. You know, you can't sit and think about what medication, you know, you need to take and is this a good route to take? You're just so mentally spent. Um, and I feel like in the space, obviously there's obviously a lot of conversation about people who have Lyme disease and patients and stuff, but I feel like caregivers, you know, they, they really are heroes and they don't get that that recognition, or maybe they don't have that support. And I know that when I was, you know, going through it, I looked at my parents, it was basically like the two of them against the world in the sense that they didn't have any other friends who understood, you know, why were they suddenly not going anywhere and staying home all the time? And what's happening, you know, like they just didn't understand. And so they had no one really to connect with on that. And I feel like that is, you know, something where, you know, having the support on both ends is so important. And I think that being a caregiver is such a unique thing. I think it's such a, um, you know, I often say that it's sort of like, it's unique, but it's a blessing because you're so close with your caregiver, caregivers and your parents. And, you know, you have such a special bond with that. But um, yeah, I think that's something that's just not talked about that often. Yeah, well, I, I touched on earlier kind of what, you know, giving up, if you will, like how the sacrifices a caregiver mm-hmm. makes. So, yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I mean, I often, our Lyme families often say, you know, well, think of it. One parent, maybe both parents were working, then one has to stay home with the children, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So then you become a one income family. Sometimes both of them, you know, they can't work for a while because either both are sick or both need it. it they, most families, I don't know, Christina, whether your family did this, but divide and conquer, right? One's taking care of the kids and then one's dealing with the insurance, trying yeah. to get coverage or helping make the appointments. I mean, it's just yeah. so much for, you know, I love the fact that you said your parents because it, it Lyme affects the whole family. Other children are, 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 are affected. I mean, you know, mom is so crazily busy on trying to get this one child if it's just one child sick. Or if it's a whole family, you know, mm-hmm. how does mom handle all that? So being a caregiver, I think, is a really, really tough job. Yeah. And um, and yet, you know, I mean, if that's one thing we look for at Limelight, you know, is is there the support system, right? Is yeah. is is there someone that can help this patient? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm sure, Christina, you remember being sick with Lyme when you you can't even process. There's a form you yeah. have to fill out. You can't even fill out the form. No. Because, you know, yeah. I mean, uh, it, you try to explain that to someone who hasn't had Lyme. Um, now with COVID, a lot of people have experienced that brain fog, but it's like, what does brain fog mean? Right. Right. But that's, that's the thing that you realize is that when you are sick with Lyme, you are focused on getting better and you need someone else to help you do everything else. Um, yeah. One thing that might help um, caregivers or anyone listening is uh, on again on our website, or you could just go directly to Patient Talk, mm-hmm. um, and that is a, a a series of videos that is um, one one of the diseases they cover is Lyme disease. There's a few that they cover, and they purposely interviewed doctors, caregivers, 
um, and patients. And there is a section on caregivers. And I think that's worth, worth listening to. Because again, Christina, it's the isolation. When you're yes. doing this as a caregiver and you're doing it, um, you know, when I say on your own, mm-hmm. it's just very lonely. Yeah. And yes. the, the nice lovely. thing now is there's so many more support groups, so yes. many more support groups. And yeah. I would recommend anyone. We have a support group list on our website. Um, again, we've all become so, so technologically sophisticated right now. You could join a, you know, support group in Minneapolis. I mean, wherever you are, <laughs> you're not, you're not limited to your state anymore. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that as well. Yes. And thank goodness for that, honestly, because yeah, so I, gosh, I started getting sick when I was 18 and, um, that's when I first started having symptoms. And then by the time I was 23, I was totally bedridden. Um, and you know, for me, when I think I go back, you know, in my head, I know exactly when that tick bite happened. Right. So I was still, you know, like a young adolescent started to have symptoms around then, but you know, my, one of my best friends, um, she was someone who had congenital Lyme. So her symptoms were very different. And so that's one thing I definitely want to kind of circle back to really quickly before we wrap up is, you know, for those children who have congenital Lyme, I think you talked a little bit about how it's not your standard process. It's not, you get bit by a tick, you see the bullseye rash, you do the, you know, you know, so it presents very differently. So can you share just a little bit for people listening about how it might present in a child who might have gotten it congenitally? And so, you know, if any parents are listening or anyone's listening, this might kind of, you know, make them think, potentially that they might need to test their kids. So any insight on that we would love? Yes, I would love, I would love to touch on that. And, you know, I just realized in my last uh, talking about congenital Lyme, I want to do the, the person at the CDC who has been so wonderful. Her name is Sue Visser. And I realized I didn't call mention her by name. It's the two Sues, Sue Faber, Sue Visser. <laughs> so I just want to, you know, Sue, if you're listening, I just want to do a, a shout out Aww. to you. And also uh, to Holiday Goudreau, who is at Live Lyme Foundation, because she has also been posting about this and other Lyme foundations have as well. But I just want to say, I love this collaboration um, amongst Lyme organizations. I mean, this is how we're stronger uh, together, right? So I just wanted to do a shout. I realized I, I, I didn't do that <laughs> at the end. Um, but yeah, that's a, this is again a whole a whole subject because you realize, um, you know, sometimes it's well, you know, for example, for my Lyme diagnosis, it came from my child's. You know, she was diagnosed, so that's how I got my Lyme diagnosis, and that's often the way it is when, when there can be a, a child who's sick that then you know, or two, three children sick, you don't know what's going on, then the parents end up getting tested. But how do, how do kids with congenital Lyme, that's, that's the hard thing. Um, and this is again, why we need more research is the hard thing is, so you either you, you as the mom have Lyme, mom or dad, right? Cause it's takes two, um, um, have Lyme and you're, you, you, want to know if your child, if you've passed it on to your child, let's just simplistically say that, um, you know, it doesn't, it may not happen right away. Your child may be absolutely fine. And your child may even test negative and for Lyme, and it may come out um, later. For example, as a toddler, you might have a lot of our congenital Lyme kids have a lot of colds and a lot of ear infections and strep throat. 
and are just sicker than the normal child, right? But it's that's still within the realm, right? You're just kind of sitting there going, okay, well, I just have a child that gets more colds. Yeah. Um, then and, and if they can become, you know, school or, or you might notice behavioral uh, problems that, you know, oh gosh, my child isn't assimilating in the group at preschool as well as they could be. And why is this person not able to sit on her mat and the other children are? Um, it could be neurological, you know, uh, headaches. And one of our grant recipients called and said to her mom, she was suffering, we now know, from migraine headaches, but she called him beeps. I have beeps in my head, mommy. Oh. And, you know, and so what are beeps in your head? But that was, you know, think of it. If you're not verbal and that's all you've known, how do you know if the beeps aren't normal? Right. Um, you know, a child, you know, who's always had beeps in their head, headaches may just think that's what, what it's like. It's not like you've had a period of wellness and then you've gotten sick. If these children are born sick, that's what they know. Yep. And then a lot of times it, it, it can be school age. There can be, um, you know, an ADD you know, diagnosis, or, you know, there could be the teacher calling you in and saying, you know, we don't know why, but your child, you know, is being disruptive in class. So it's all these, again, more research and study is needed, but it's all these symptoms that, you know, th these children, these children born to Lyme moms need to be followed, but pediatricians don't even know about it. Right. So that's, <laughs> yep. that's the crazy thing. You know, I dream of a day when we have the checklist at the pediatrician's office and, and these things are happening when they say, oh, you should test your child for Lyme because they're seemingly unrelated, right? A headache, uh, won't sit on the mat at, at preschool to disruptive or is having, is, a, is a having a hard time reading because their eye isn't tracking properly, right? Yeah. So it's very, you know, it, it, can, be, it can be very different. And, um, you know, that's why we just, we just feel so strongly. And again, we've put up this Lyme and pregnancy page that anyone who has Lyme or is having some of the symptoms we're talking about and is wanting to get pregnant really to talk to their Lyme medical doctor about it and decide, you know, if, if they should treat during pregnancy, which we think you should, I mean, that is limelight. I mean, we, of course, we're seeing these 500 plus children and we're thinking, okay, if mom could start treating beforehand, you'd have a better shot at not having a Lyme child, not guaranteed, but a better shot. And that doesn't have to mean antibiotics. It could be, a, you know, an, a, like I said, it could be an integrative approach. It could be antimicrobials, whatever is right for you. But um, the, the goal would be to have less children, you know, born sure. with Lyme. Yes. And this really does just beautifully circle back to what we talked about in the beginning, which is advocacy, you know? And so if you know something is wrong, don't, don't give up. If you know that your child is acting you know, off and, you know, you're, even if they're unrelated, like you said, like you said, okay, so, well, they're acting up at school and maybe this is this and this is that you, if you know, something is not right, keep going because there is going to be a doctor that's going to listen to you and is going to look at your child or you and just say, okay, you know, I, I understand what you're saying. There's all these things happening here. This is not normal. Let's figure it out. And so, so much of that is really just trusting that gut feeling that you have and, you know, not giving up and continuing to follow it down the line. Right. And, and another thing for anyone listening who wants to know more about congenital Lyme from our grant recipients, 
is we, um, and you mentioned Ashley Marva, because what, what they did at both at Banbury, the conference and at Lime Mine, they showed uh, videos uh, that we created, Limelight created. And so what we did is we interviewed our, um, the families that we knew that had, not all of them, obviously a handful that had congenital Lyme and had them speak um, about their experience. And then we um, have combined, there's some individual families that are highlighted and then there's a combination. And for Banbury each day, they showed one again for the Banbury conference, what Limelight brought was the patient voice to the conference and hey, this is real. Look at these, these people are, are saying this. And then they showed one this year at the beginning um, at the, at the beginning of the Lyme Mind conference for the congenital Lyme uh, panel discussion, perinatal Lyme discussion. So that's another way I think video is such a great way to, to see what families are going through and see if this feels like an experience you're going through. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it just really never stop kind of advocating for yourself. And so like, you know, I think that that's beautiful with that patient, the the videos that you show, because I feel like there's probably so many people who might see that and be like, you know what, that sounds like a family I know down the street, or that sounds like someone that, you know, maybe I might meet at the grocery store or at church or something like that. And oftentimes that's, that's that ripple effect. And it really is just very much about like continuing to advocate, not losing hope. Um, and I feel like that's just all such an important critical thing and something that limelight brings and something that you, of course, individually are passionate about and is just so important. So important. My husband used to say to me, he still does say to me, you are not to mention the L word tonight. So, you know, we'd, <laughs> we'd go to a party and he would see me in the corner and he would say, oh no, she's talking with someone about Lyme. It's hard <laughs> not to talk to someone about Lyme, right? right. It's yeah. all around us. And, and, and I do often tell myself, you know, if I want a night off, I'm not going to go there tonight, but invariably <laughs> I go there. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> My friends are very patient with me. Uh-huh. But that's amazing though. I mean, honestly, like you said, it, it, it just, it happens naturally, right? You're talking to someone, you're not trying to do it, but something comes up and it's like, like, oh, I just, I just have to say this one thing, you know? So mm-hmm. I, I totally understand that. I totally understand. Well, back to what you were talking about, the, the, the whole grocery store, you know, experience. If that person had said, I'm not going to say anything and then walked yeah. on, who knows where we would be, right? Yep. So yep. I kind of feel like, yeah, you know, you, you, you know, you need to, say the words, put it out there, but then it's up to them to see whether they're going to pick it up and move with it or not. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Oh man. Thank you so much for your time today, Phyllis. Um, I'm just so grateful that you could come and you could share about Limelight and the wonderful work you do and, um, and just the trajectory of how this, you know, this, this little seed was planted and what it's turned into today. Oh, thank you. And thank you for inviting me to come on, uh, really. And anyone, as I said, anyone who would like to learn more about us, go to your, go to our website. um, And we would love to hear um, from any family or any parent who wants more information. We, we, we really would. And um, yeah. And thank you. And thank you for what you're doing, that you're, you know, you're bringing people like me on and helping to spread awareness and people are learning and it's just really wonderful. And we just want to reinforce for everybody to go to your website again, that's limelightfoundation.org. 
And for everybody who wants to learn more about the awesome Christina Kovacs, they should check out her podcast episode, 138, Lady of Lime. And that's on our website, tickbootcamp.com. And also, Christina has his awesome blog, ladyoflime.com, and can be found on Instagram at Christina underscore Coves, K-O-V-S. And I just want to say, on behalf of Rich and I and the entire Tick Bootcamp community, Phyllis, Christina, you both were amazing. You gave us such hope and energy and I have hope for the future of Lyme disease because of the two of you. So thank you so much for joining our podcast. You've made our day. You made our week. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ah, oh, of course. This was so fun. I'm so happy to be here every time. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Phyllis Bedford, founder of Limelight Foundation. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Phyllis and the Limelight Foundation, please check out their website limelightfoundation.org. Secondly, if you enjoyed this episode of Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared to us by our podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates for our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you would like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, including myself, please subscribe to our email list or share feedback on our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.